And that's the truth. There we go. I went from soft to loud. You got me down, John? If I holler too loud, they don't like that. I don't blame them. Go ahead and take your Bibles tonight, please, to turn to 1 Kings chapter 19. We're going to continue now the tail end of that story this morning, um, the, the last part. And I really think, again, there's some good truth for us tonight. Um, God was just so gracious this morning from the get-go, from the very first song until the last amen. It was a glorious day. Surely um, the presence of the Lord was in this place. And I, I just thank God for that. I really do. I thank God for Brother Dave and the worship team, for, for Brave Dave Nave and the song. Um, it was just a wonderful, wonderful day, and we're filled with gratitude tonight um, for that. And you remember we ended this morning, intentionally, by the way, uh, we intended to end there where, you know, God says, Elijah, what are you doing here? You know, and, you know, here being, why are you not where I put you? Or why did you come to see me? His intentionality of going to Mount Sinai, even possibly in, in, in God's sovereignty in the very cave, perhaps, that God put Moses when his glory passed by. Elijah, why did you come? And I told you there were two options. One was encouragement. One was to get fired up. One to get get renewed. And the other was to quit. And the truth is, that's why Elijah went. And you're going to see that tonight. He, he, he went to that spot to tell God he was done. And we've all had experiences. And we heard it so clearly in the testimony um, on and Sunday and this morning. You know, I'm done with you, God. I am just done. And so he came to quit. And, and God had a bigger, bigger plan than that. So, so then, you know, he says, why are you here? And Elijah gives the Elijah answer for a man who's done. Look at verse number 10. And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord of hosts. Now, let me just pause there. Let, let, me, just, let me just give you a word of warning. Now, a couple of the commentaries I read picked up on something that, that I picked up on, I think. And, and certainly this is no way judging Elijah because I was not in his shoes. We are so quick to judge people, but we've never walked in their shoes. Come on, so amen? We've never walked in their shoes. We've got to be careful because we don't know what made a person respond the way they respond. We, we don't know why a person ends up where they are, what, what things lined up in their life that calls them to be the way they are. So this is no way a statement with Elijah, but the commentary thought, and there's almost, if you read verse number 10, there's just a twinge there of pride. You can see it in the opening sentence. I have been very zealous for the Lord. And remember, he's talking to God, like God doesn't know that. He said, you know, God, I, I did exactly, I stood for you, I took hits for you, I've walked in danger for you, I've been very zealous for the Lord. And here's the warning. Be very careful of conversations in which you are the principal character. Be very careful of conversations when you are the principal character. Notice again the first word, and he said, I. 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 You know, we have a real propensity in our lives to talk a lot about us. And, and, you know, this is what I want. This is the way I want it done. Me, me, I, I, me, me. Be very careful when you're having conversations, whether it be with people or whether it be with God, and the principle of the conversation is always you and what you want. 
You know, there, there's a, a standing joke that goes around where a person was talking to another person and spent 15 minutes talking about himself and then said these words, that's enough about me, what do you think about me? Okay, so, so be very careful of that. Now, I use this very carefully tonight, but I think it helps make the point I'm trying to share with you tonight, the warning I'm trying to share. And it's a scripture, again, we used back in the study, way back in the beginning of the... Um, of the study on good and evil, and it's Isaiah chapter 14, and most theologians ascribe this to speaking about the character Lucifer or Satan. And here, and you've heard this before, but notice again, and with that thought in mind, beware of conversations of me and I. Here's what Lucifer said. You said to yourself, he wasn't talking to God, you said to yourself, I will ascend to the heavens, I will set up my throne above the stars of God, I will sit on the mount of of the God's assembly in the remotest parts of the north. I will ascend above the highest clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Do you see that? I, 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 I. Folks, let me tell you something. The center letter in, in sin is, and the center letter in pride is, be careful when you're most unnerved about why things happen to you and how things are happening in your life and why it's not getting the way, it's not working out the way you thought it ought to work out. Be very aware of that. So he starts by saying, I have been zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. And that's a mixture of truth and not. He is not the only prophet less. Yes, the children have, the children of Israel have torn down the altars, and yes, they have killed the prophets with the sword. But here's the deal. Remember, when Elijah won on Carmel, and, and the four and fifty prophets of Baal were killed, He thought that was the beginning of revival. And even that concept, that thought, actually he thought revival was was done. It was a done deal. Okay? With that thought now is so distant, all he can remember was pre-carmel. All he can remember. He can't remember that just, just days ago, perhaps weeks ago, he can't remember that fire fell down and, and, and consumed the altar and, and the people of God said, the, the disobedient people of God said, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. All that has faded from memory. And all he can see now is the way things used to be in a bad way. You know, you've torn down your altars. They've forsaken your covenant and they killed your prophets. So that's all he can see, and that's his answer to God. Why are you here? I'm here to resign because your people are disobedient. They're tearing down the altars and they're killing prophets, and I'm one and I'm next. And that's his answer to God. Well, in verse number 11, God calls him out, and not in, hey, get outside, but calls him out outside the cave. Then he said in verse 11, go out. And stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, now remember where he is. He's on Mount Sinai, we know that. He could be in the cave where Moses was. Just keep that in mind. And behold, as in the case of Moses, the Lord passed by. Imagine the the glory and the power of that moment. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains. Now, you, we cannot imagine a wind this strong. The Weather Channel would love to get a hold of this. A great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks. 
Addison, that's a lot of power. Broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And that's a, the, the idea of this wind is a classic example of the outpouring of God's power. We would futurely see it, uh, the, he would see it futurely on the day of Pentecost. When, when like a mighty rushing wind, the power of God swept through the upper room. But notice, the Lord was not in the wind. So the message seems to be automatically that, okay, sometimes God moves in miraculous ways through things like powerful wind, but not always. And then, the Bible says, after the wind, an earthquake came. And we could go back to a time when there was a guy, you know, Paul and Silas were locked in jail in Philippi, and and God sent a great earthquake, okay, and set Paul and Silas free. We could go to Calvary's cross where the Bible says when he cries out, it is finished, there's a great earthquake, and every rock in the earth was rent. It was cracked. That's what the Bible says. So it's another miraculous way that God demonstrates his power. But not every time. Not every way. The Lord was not in the earthquake. And and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. So so we see this, okay? These are times and ways that God moves miraculously. Now, here's the deal. Listen carefully. This is true in your life. It's true in my life. It was true then. It's true now. It's not as important how God moves but that he does. Let me say it again. It's not important necessarily how God moves, but that God moves. Now, let me, again, this is free tonight because I know some of you are freaking out about this election. God is sovereign and God's will will be done in this election. And again, hear me clearly tonight. He's going to move. I don't know how he's going to move, but he's going to move. And the important thing is that our sovereign God is active in this world today. I love the line where he said, God never said about an election, about an accident, about an illness, about a situation. Oops, I didn't see that one coming. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere. He is our God. So, so it's, again, it's not important just that he moves or how he moves, but the fact that he does move. And then... And then after the fire, a still, small voice. Something totally unexpected. Now, somewhere, it appears in verse 14, somewhere in that process of, of wind and earthquake and fire, somewhere in that process, Elijah, and it makes sense, Elijah moves back into the cleft of the rock. And again, that's why God put Moses in the cleft of the rock, because he could not stand to see the glory of God full front. So he puts him in the cleft of the rock and hides him with his hand. Okay, so sometimes Elijah moves back into the cave. We know that because of verse 14. And it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. When he heard the still, small voice, this gentle voice, he is called back out to the entrance of the cave. And that still small voice suddenly speaks to him and says this, What are you doing here, Elijah? Does that sound familiar? Same question. Same question. 
What are you doing here, Elijah? You know, would you think, would you think that after a demonstration of a wind so strong it could break rocks, after an earthquake so strong that it shook the earth, after a fire, a holy fire sweeps through the mountain, it would seem like it would garner at least a different response. Did it? No. And we'll, and we'll get that just in a moment. Can I just be blunt in a kind way? Don't let the word of God have no effect on you. I appreciate you, brother. God said, several people this morning said, that spoke to my heart today. The worship. That, you know, I know several people have gone to you tonight. I watched and said, thank you for sharing your testimony. I know several people went to Dave Nave. It's a beautiful picture of the family of God doing God's business. Here's a guy with a talent to sing. And several people went to Dave Nave and said, man, I appreciate your, you singing that song. I know several people went to the worship team and said, thank you for leading us in worship the way that you did. And several people said the message. Thank you for the message. The family of God working together in a real and powerful way. Don't let the word of God and worship have no impact on you. I'm telling you the truth. If week after week after week the family of God gathers in the house of God to, to worship holy God and preach the word of God and walks out the same way, something is wrong. And it has nothing to do with the country, by the way. It has to do with the church. What are you doing here, Elijah? And again, I would not dare preach a message to this great prophet because I have no right to do that and certainly as weak as I am. But I would give him some advice tonight. I would say, Elijah, before you answer, listen to Job. Before you open your mouth, listen to Job. This is Job 42, verses 1 to 6. Listen. Job replied to the Lord. See how appropriate it is? Elijah's going to get a chance to talk to God, and Job's talking to God. He says, I know that you can do anything and no plan of yours can be thwarted. Amen. Speaking again to God, Job says, you asked, who is this who conceals my counsel with ignorance? What mere mortal speaks and conceals my counsel with ignorance? Surely I spoke about things I did not understand, Job said. Things too wonderful for me to know. How about that? Ever done that before? Job speaking to God. You said, listen now, and I will speak. When I question you, will you inform me? God says to this mere mortal and says, okay, if I ask you a question, are you going to inform me? Isn't it amazing how we tell God to do his job? How about that? Certainly he needs the help of a bunch of Baptists. Listen now and I will speak. When I question you, will inform me. I love this. I'm not sure what it means all the way, but I love it. Job responds and says, I had heard rumors about you. You think, is that where that song gets that line? I've heard stories about you? It could. I've, you know, Job says, I've heard rumors about you. 
And, and now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I take back my words and repent in dust and ashes. Hey, Elijah, learn something from Job. Brothers and sisters, learn something from Job. You know, it's not July the 4th, but we live as Christians declaring our independence from God way too often. And again, it's not independence. It is a dependence on God. Trusting God. Simply trusting every day. Trusting along life's difficult way. Trusting Him, whatever be tied. Trusting Jesus. That is all. Trust God. Well, how do you think Elijah's going to answer? <laughs> well, here we go. This is going to sound familiar. And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword. And I alone am left. But they seek to take my life. After all that manifestation of God's power in a second chance, he says the exact same thing. And I'm grateful that we don't hear a long sermon from God. I'm grateful God handles this so tactfully and wonderfully. And you know he does that for us. Amen? Come on, amen. Doesn't God tactfully and wonderfully handle us? He knows how honest to be with us. He knows how gentle to be with us. That's wonderful. Well, here's what God says. Then the Lord said to him, your resignation is rejected. <laughs> That's what he says. <laughs> then the Lord said to him, go. You're not resigning. You're not quitting. Go. Return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. I want you to go back the same way you came. Do you remember the 335 miles? I want you to go back those 335. And by the way, notice God didn't go, I'll zip you there. Zip. You know, he does that sometimes with prophets. But he let Joshua, or excuse me, he lets Elijah take the journey. Quite interesting. Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And here's what he's about to do. He's going to send Elijah back to doing what Elijah was called to do in the first place. You were a prophet. You are a prophet. Now, I'm sending you back to do what prophets do. He didn't say, okay, what? Well, you didn't like that assignment? I'll give you another one. He didn't say, well, you didn't like those circumstances? Well, I'll put you in, you know, these preachers that change churches all the time. Always looking for the perfect church. There's not a perfect church. Stop looking. We Pastors and people need to learn to be content where God has placed them to serve. I've got a scripture for that. We need to learn a lesson from Paul. Paul said this, I know how to be bought low. And, Jerry, uh, and Terry, you used the words, God humbled me. Perfect, buddy. Perfect. I know how to be brought low. And I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned 
the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. In good times and bad times, election years and not election years, when the economy is good and the economy is bad, Paul said, I've learned something. And guess what he learned? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Elijah, be content where you are. Be content in what God has placed you and called you to do. Be content with that. Because you can do everything God calls you to do. Is that true today? It is. It is. Well, here's the assignment. Verse 15b. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. A pagan king, by the way. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimzi, as king over Israel. And Elijah, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. Now, Paul's right there. Because if you're not careful, you would think that he's being kicked out. Elijah, you're done. I've got me a new boy. Not so. Two things are happening here. One, Elijah is going to do something that will help him, and that is mentor a new prophet. Remember the secret sauce? Christians who serve are the happiest. Okay? Elijah not only has a bigger job to do, but he has the opportunity of pouring his life into a new person. Also, he gains a companion. Two great things. Elijah, you've been by yourself. And Elijah, no man is an island. We need someone. We need someone. That's why, men, God gives us wives. And wives, that's why God gives us husbands. He gives you all husbands. So there you go. This is what I want you to do. This is what you're going to do. And in verse 17, And it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel and Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elijah will kill. Now, did you know this is what the man wanted? You know what this is? This is revival part two. Karma wasn't a finale. It was a kickoff. And this is the beginning of a revival coming into Judah. Just what Elijah wanted to see happen. Elijah, you're not out of the game. You're in the game. You're in the game. And church, we're not out of the game. We're in the game. That probably was a good place for an amen. It probably was. So, God ends with a great good zinger. Not a bad zinger, but a good zinger. And he says, Elijah, there's one more thing you need to know. I have reserved 7,000. You think you're by yourself? You think you're the last unicorn? Your last prophet? You left, your loner left? I have reserved 7,000 prophets, if I can put that word in, in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah, you're not by yourself. You're part of a big force. And the force is going to bring revival. And church, there's a revival that God wants to bring. 
and we get a chance to be a part of it. But, but again, we can't think about ourselves. This me stuff has got to go. This I stuff has got to go. We got to be all about Jesus and sharing this glorious gospel. I'm telling you one more time. This is my last appeal today. You know, you need to be involved. You need to schedule your calendar, if nothing else, for not this Wednesday, but next Wednesday, fat packing party. You need to be here. There is no, probably no better value for the gospel than $15 for a shoebox. You need to be a part of the war of winning souls to Jesus. And here's how it works. I'm going to take time to tell you one more time. You did, in case you, in case you weren't totally clear this morning. I think you did a good job. But this box is going somewhere in this world. And in that box are going to be gifts that these children, you can't imagine, they've never seen this stuff. So you're going to bless them physically. But with every box will come the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in their language. And boxes go where churches or believers already are. And when that child prays to receive Jesus Christ as Savior, there will be someone to lead them through the greatest journey. And that person will receive discipleship upon their decision to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. And Judy, you said it right. Then that little boy or girl goes home, and they learn about the greatest journey. And if I remember correctly, there are seven people saved for every shoebox. Seven people saved for every shoebox. That's the average. So every time a child receives Christ, seven more people are one to the Lord. Don't miss this. This is the big bang for your buck in being a part of revival in this world, sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you win a nation? One soul at a time. Thank you for remembering. So folks, regardless of Tuesday... We have our work cut out for us. We could be a part of not our plan, but God's big plan. Elijah, what are you doing here? Church, what are we doing here? Let's pray. Oh, God, thank you very much for the privilege of sharing your word again tonight. And thank you that you're sovereign and you're powerful and you're in control. And that this whole world literally is in your hands, as the song says. So, Father, I pray that as we leave today, as we conclude our worship together as a church family, Father, I pray that we have been encouraged and we've been strengthened with your word and with the worship, the special music, not one but two different testimonies, uh, one this morning, one tonight. We are just leaving with our heart overflowing. Thank you for that. Now, Father, as we leave, Holy Spirit, we understand that you are in us, and with us. So we pray that as we journey this week, as opportunities for conversations begin, that we'll be constantly aware, Lord, that we have open doors sometimes to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'll have opportunities through shoeboxes to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, there's a world out there that needs to know your son and that needs to know that you love them so much. So may we truly be about your business tonight. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen.